Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Well, we've had a great season, you guys. Seven incredible weeks, and we've spent together, and uh, we've walked through these provisions and these t- uh, things that God has given us and set forth the foundations of what a Christian man really looked like, and we have a clear picture, and we have a really good picture. We know what we're called to do. We know the play that's set before us. Um, so the challenge tonight is to think through maybe some of the things that get in the way, like what's stopping me? I heard how you want me to go, God. You've set a clear picture for me, but something's holding me back, so tonight we wanna explore that a little bit. You know, the last two months I've been struggling with some low level of fear each day. It just seems to be kind of there all the time. You know, not peaking and spiking, but never really going away, just seeming to linger. And as I noticed that when my fear and anxiety increased, I would start daydreaming about a home in the mountains. I love being in the mountains. And uh, so I would find myself going there. And the more I got anxious and fearful, the more I would start thinking about that. So I prayed about it. Unusual for me, honestly, because I love thinking about the future. I love daydreaming. Uh, But this time I prayed and said, God, help me stop dreaming about a home in the mountains. I feel like something about that's wrong, and I don't want to dwell on that. And I prayed deeply and asked him to help me. And uh, after I prayed, I had this thought. It literally jumped in my head, and it said, you're trying to escape your fear. And that's what I heard in my head, and I was like, What? And then I sat there and thought about it. I just sat there and thought, I said, why would I be trying to escape my fear? And then again, another thought came into my head and it was this. When you were a little boy, you would lay in the front yard of your grandma's house daydreaming about the future. And why would I do that? Because I did that when my mom left. I remember the day my mom left. I was about four years old and she left for three years. And uh, I was left living with my grandma. My dad had left when I was a year and a half old. So now both my mom and dad are gone. And I remember having a deep fear as a little boy, and I would lay in my grandma's front yard daydreaming about the future. And I've been repeating that pattern, guys, for 55 years now. So what was I doing? I was dealing with my fear. And that way I deal with it is to run into the future, run away from it by going into the future. And I didn't know that until last week. It's crazy how God helps you see those things. One of my greatest obstacles in serving God is my fear of the unknown. And my way of handling it is to live in the future, running from my fear. And that keeps me from God. It does. It pulls me away. And that's what I prayed. I said, God, I feel like this desire for a house in the mountains is pulling me away from you. Why? And he made that clear in my head. That's why. You know, the church calls that sinful, but maybe it's just being fearful. Maybe it's really not a sin. Maybe the emotional loss I experienced caused me to behave in a way that looks sinful, but maybe there was something legitimately underneath that that I needed to explore, and I think God really helped me explore that a little bit more. So what emotional patterns are holding you back from truly loving and serving Jesus? Have you ever really dug into that to see what is in my heart that holds me back? What redirects me? What puts me on a different path than the one that brings me to him? We started this series with a clear mandate from God. And tonight we complete it by looking at a few of those forces that oppose us as we try to do that good work from God. It's clear every man in the Bible who had a deep desire to serve God experienced opposition in some way. 
and we do as well. We should expect it. It's not, we're not immune to that because we're saved. In fact, it's very clear that's what will happen. So I'm gonna talk about four that I think Christian men struggle with. It may not be what you thought you'd hear tonight, but the four are these, your emotions, your marriage, the devil, and the world. And I pray you're gonna leave tonight inspired to start to explore your heart more deeply and be encouraged knowing God will give you victory over the things that hold you back. He will, he will give you victory. God wants you to live free. Man, I mean free, truly free. Because when you're free, that's when you're gonna serve him incredibly well. That freedom makes you truly an amazing servant. So let's open with prayer and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for dying for us. Thank you for helping us love each other well for seven weeks. Thank you for opening our eyes to the things that you want in our lives and the power that you've put inside of us and now for helping us see what holds us back, what gets in our way to truly give you our very best and to experience you in the fullest ways, Lord. Walk with us, Jesus. Open our eyes now. Lord, help shut down all the distractions. Give us 30 minutes where we can just be with you, Lord. Turn it all off. Shut out the world. Give us a sanctuary now to be with you, Jesus. And Lord, help the spirit in each of us rise as we hear you speak to us, Lord. And Lord, please don't let my words or actions get in the way of these guys hearing your truth. In your name I pray, Jesus, amen. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Romans 7. So I find this law at work. When I wanna do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. I haven't met a Christian man who doesn't see the impact of sin in his life. Christian men know this. And as we spend more time with Jesus, our failures become even more apparent. What I'm discovering is that Christian men truly hate that. We do, guys. I haven't met a guy yet that goes, man, I love that part of me. No, we don't, we hate it, we all do. But what seems interesting is we don't really understand the source of the sin and why it repeats. That seems to be where we struggle. Here are a few issues I frequently hear when I'm working with men and ones I struggle with as well. An intense need to be recognized and affirmed by other men. A persistent fight for control at home and at work. Spending way more time than I should on hobbies, trying to feel happy or feed that competitiveness I need to feel like I can beat somebody. How about this one? Feeding my overly stimulated appetite for sex. And then a lack of confidence and doubt playing in my head over and over. I hear these things a lot, you guys. So which of those behaviors or others came to your mind are repeating that are causing you to pull back from sharing and serving Jesus? What is it that's in your head that's pulling you back? What is it that's in your heart that's pulling you back from Jesus? In Romans 7, Paul asks, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He states it clearly. He recognizes that he's got sin and then he says, but I'm not there anymore, daggone it. I'm free. I'm not a slave to sin. 
Jesus died and he defeated that power of sin in me. It's done. I've discovered that most Christian men struggle with emotional issues that cause them to sin. That's where we find our stumbling block. It's the emotional issues in our heart. And the sin is a symptom of our inability to resolve the underlying emotional issue. That's where the struggle's coming, you guys. And we can't seem to put the two together. So we gotta get that more clear. For example, I remember in my home with my wife as a young man, I had always had these low levels of anger that I would bring into our home all the time. And I never could figure out why that was there. I really didn't notice it until I started working with Dr. Townsend. And John said, man, you seem to be kind of angry a lot. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a happy dude, man. Like I'm a, you know, people like me, I'm happy. And he's like, yeah, I don't like you that much. You're, you're kind of angry. Um, so we started talking about it and he helped me see that, you know what? I was having anger towards my mom leaving and it was sitting underneath, right underneath the hood of my life but I never saw it. I didn't know it was there. I had no idea it was affecting me, but we talked about it and started rooting into that little low anger. And he said, that's where it's coming from, dude. And I, I sat and did a little exercise where I told my mom what I was feeling about her. And man, you would not believe what came out of me. I had no idea that was in there, you guys. No idea. And after that, that low level of anger just disappeared. So what the church might say is you got an anger problem with sin, right? That's a sin. You got an anger problem. I had another brother who's a Christian say, yeah, that is a sin, but that's, you're not getting to the problem. You can't just keep confessing it and then acting like it's gonna go away. It's not. It's like a, a, or a tooth rotten in your mouth. You gotta fix the problem. And the problem was that issue with that anger, anger towards my mom. So that's an interesting thing. Let me share some practical steps as you start to think about your emotional issues that are causing you to be sinning, as the church might call it. Uh, they'll help you start to explore these issues in maybe a little bit more practical way. First, stop believing men cannot live without sinning. You have to stop believing that. It's a common thing in the Christian kingdom. Well, I'm forgiven so I can keep sinning. I can't quit sinning. It's just how I am, and that's normal for Christians to sin. You start buying into it. That's not true. If you believe this, you start to accept the behavior, and then you start to define yourself as that guy. I'm a sex addict. I'm angry, I like looking at men rather than women, I'm selfish, I'm greedy, uh, I love money. You know, you start defining yourself according to the behavior that you re keep repeating because you think you can't have victory over it. The Apostle John says, if you keep sinning, you're not a believer. We often believe our own thoughts, you guys. You hear a thought in your head and you think it's true. Just because you think it doesn't make it true. I had guys in my plants that used to always say, you can't run a plant without an accident. And I know lots of plants, manufacturing plants in America that go years without accidents. So just because you think something's true doesn't mean it's not true, I mean it's true. A big Doug in here, wherever he is, he's right over there, big Doug, he, he's got muscles on top of muscles, he doesn't eat a stick of meat. So I used to always have guys that say, man, men, don't, men have to have meat. And they believe that, you have to have meat. Well, that's not true, Doug's a vegetarian. So that's, that's clearly not true. So just because you think something doesn't make it true. So you just, you, you gotta quit believing that you're a slave to sin. Jesus died to set you free. Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed, right? Like free, man, like I'm free. He set me free, I am free. You've got to believe that. God has given us all what we need to be free and we are free. He's given you what you need to be free. You are free. So 
pray and ask God to make it clear what behavior's holding you down. Just as I described, start praying about it. What behavior's holding you down? What behavior, what's the symptom that you keep seeing? I'm angry, I'm, I'm, I'm lusting, I'm this, whatever it is, pray. God, help make that clear what that behavior is in me. And then sit and read your Bible and listen for an answer about that prayer. God, reveal to me what you see in me that I've got to stop doing the behavior and ask him to make it clear to you. Listen to the Holy Spirit, just so you're clear on what that behavior is. Then when you see that behavior show up in you, make sure you've got a group of trusted Christian men around you and tell them about it. Come out of the closet, right? Stop holding that in, stop keeping it secret, stop hiding that and tell them who you are. I'm having these thoughts, I'm experiencing these behaviors and I've had some really awesome young guys in heart groups with us doing that very thing, coming out saying, I'm angry about this, I'm having sexual thoughts like that, I'm having greed thoughts like this and they're being really clear on what they're struggling with if behavior. Wow, that's good. Then, once you do that, guys, if you're in that group and a guy says that, stop in that moment and pray over that brother, right? What does James 5 say? Confess your sins to your brothers, and then he, then he says, and they will forgive you. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. That's what he's telling us to do. So you stop, you listen to the brother, you don't start fixing him. You put your hands on him, you pray over him, and you ask God to forgive him. God has the power to forgive, and you're just asking God to do that. God, please forgive my brother, forgive my brother, pray over him, and God said, that prayer is powerful and effective. And then you that have been prayed over, accept the forgiveness. Believe that Jesus has died for that very reason. He died for that, so that you would be liberated from that. You have to accept the forgiveness and stop replaying the failure over and over in your head and believing that you need further punishment. You don't. The punishment was taken on your behalf. It's over, you're forgiven, believe it. And then let them help you start to diagnose the emotions connected to behavior with. And brothers, if you're listening to a guy that's telling you he's having an experience, do not start to fix him. That is not your job. Your job is to ask enough questions to help him find the root emotion that he's experiencing. What emotions at the root of that behavior? 97% of your decisions are made by your feelings, not your thoughts. Thoughts drive feelings, feelings drive actions. So you have to get to the emotion that's behind it, not the thought. And as guys, we're all trying to fix each other's head. You gotta get in the heart. So you gotta listen to the guy and try to figure out what his heart is doing. What's his heart doing? Help him figure out what his heart is doing. What am I feeling that's causing me to act that way so that you can dig in there? And once that guy starts to connect the dots between what he's feeling and what he's doing, he's gonna, you're gonna help liberate him. And Jesus it helps you do that, right? And that guy's gonna feel deep relief. He's gonna know you hit the mark because he's gonna be expressing emotion. You're gonna see it come out. And then get your emotional needs met through those friends, right? So for me, when I'm feeling fear, when somebody's afraid, what do they need? Comfort, right? This is terrible, man. Like, we, we're terrible at this, right? Like, in somebody's fear, we're like, suck it up. Stop being a weak stick. Toughen up. Come on, right? You know, I remember I broke this finger right here. Freshman year of football. See it? it doesn't, it's not straight anymore. Freshman year of football. Went to block a pass, got caught, and a uh, jersey snapped it. And I'm standing there with a finger snapped. It's blowing up. And I'm like, coach, I think something's wrong here. He's like, come on, boy. You are like, seriously, this, this, this hurts. Like, it's really not good. You're like, come on, man. Football's not for the weak. Okay, that's not what we're doing here, guys. No more of that, right? That ends. 
We don't do that. When the guy's hurt and you're listening, you're taking it in, you're understanding, you're helping him feel what he's feeling, you're not fixing and telling him to suck it up. That's not what we're doing here, right? What we're trying to do is make a connection so it can help him connect the emotions to the actions and then he can start figuring out what he needs. When I'm fearful, I need comfort, which means I need somebody to put their arm around me and say, you're gonna be okay, man. You're gonna be okay. I did that Sunday. I walked in, John Ish was here. I walked up to John. John said, Bill, man, I love you. I miss you. What's been going on? John's an elder in my life. And I just, man, he just breathes life into me when I get around him. And he put his arm around me. And I said, man, I am afraid right now, John. He said, what are you afraid of? And I described what was going on. He said, man, God, I just love you, Bill. And I just know God's got so much good for you. He's going to do so much good for you. And I just want you to know that. And he's holding me in his arm. That was comfort. That's exactly what I needed. He didn't start preaching the Bible. He didn't say, oh, come on, man, you don't, you're, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be, he didn't do any of that. He gave me exactly what I needed, which was comfort. Guys, that's what you gotta learn to give a guy in that moment. When he's experiencing an emotion, you gotta give him a mismatch experience, which is something different than what he's had in the past. You gotta give him what he needs, an emotional thing. That might be comfort, that might be affirmation, that might be approval, that might be something you can't wrap your head around until you hear him say it, and then you give him that in that situation. And it's an emotional connection, it's exactly what he needs. That's what we do. That makes all the difference in the world. Rely on the Holy Spirit in those moments. Let him feel you, let him speak to you, let him come to you. That will change the game for that person. You will help them connect the dots to their emotions and their actions, which will help them stop sinning. And then, if you're the guy that's doing that, let me give you one more practical piece. Stop doing, watching, or listening to whatever is creating those feelings, right? So if you're on social media and you see an ex-girlfriend saying things that piss you off, should you keep getting on her feed? Should you? Somebody say no, please. No, thank you, yeah. Get off the feed, right? Like, and how many of you guys keep getting on the feed, right? And you just keep getting on the feed and you read the stupid comments and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you gonna torture yourself? Literally, this is what you're doing. And you just keep going back for more and more and more and more. Stop doing that, right? If you're watching Friends and it makes you go masturbate, stop watching Friends. I mean, it sounds so simple, but you guys do it over and over again. It's our eyes and our ears that are driving us to bad places. Men get addicted to something. So get addicted to the groups of men that you're hanging with. Now that's something to get addicted to. Get in those groups and hang around those guys. And if you've got a deep addiction, especially you guys that have pornography issues, you've got to get into a conquerors group here in, in church. That conquerors group will help you more than we can. They've got tools and things to help you get out of pornography. Pornography is an addiction no different than heroin. You've gotta get it out of your system because it's affecting your brain chemistry severely and you cannot overcome your emotional issues till you get unaddicted to the pornography. I'm telling you, you gotta do that. And we have groups here called Conqueror Groups that do that. So that's what you do. And then memorize scripture to fight those emotions. Memorize scripture to fight the emotions. David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, Psalm 119, 11. So for me, I memorize this. There is no, there, there is no fear in love. Perfect fear drives out love. There is no fear in love. Perfect fear drives out love. So when I'm hearing, did I got that wrong, Kyle? Perfect love drives out fear. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I got my son here. Isn't it great? That's awesome. Thank you, Kyle. But that's what we do. You gotta memorize the right scripture. You memorize the wrong when you make a mess, right? So yeah, 
But if you memorize the scripture, memorize the verses, right? And then repeat them. When, the, when you're sitting there in that moment and you're feeling those emotions, that's what David said to do. Do it. Memorize the word and say it over and over. Say it over and over out loud so the devil can hear you. And then always be a part of a men's group who study the Bible. Always be a part of a men's group who study the Bible. Always be part of a men's group who study the Bible. Don't wonder why. Don't you wonder why Jesus had 12 guys in a group for three years? Did anybody think about that? Jesus had 12 guys in a group for three years wandering all over Israel. He could have done it by himself. He had 12 guys in a group for three years wandering around all over Israel. Why did he do that? Because that's where they worked on their issues. Can you only imagine what Peter was like? Can you imagine the conversations? Peter, are we going here again? You tried chopping the guy's ear off of the uh, head off of the sword. You missed and hit his ear. You know, you're not good with a sword. You got all kinds of anger problems. You keep popping off and I tell you not to talk. You know, you're just, you're a mess, Peter. How did, what happened? Well, my dad was kind of rough on me. We were out on the boat fishing. He slapped me against the head a couple times and you know, pushed me over the boat, you know, when I didn't catch the fish. You know, he's like, okay, we got to work through that. Took three years to work. And one of the guys that didn't even work for, Judas blew it. So he's working with these guys in groups. Guys, you cannot, you cannot quit coming to men's groups. This is where you get your help. This is where the, the work gets done, right? It really gets done here. These guys work together with you. You work in teams, you work as a group. It helps, it helps, it helps. So, and lastly, practice things like solitude, prayer, reading scripture and fasting to help to learn self-control. You've got to learn self-control. You have to learn some self-control, got to. And you learn it in bite-sized pieces. You learn it by practicing these simple things, right? Reading scripture, fasting, solitude, prayer. You, you practice there so that when you need self-control, you've got self-control. Oh my gosh, I'm getting really frisky right now. I'm feeling all these hormones. I'm dying to go look at some porn. No, you do not have to do that. You have control. Why? Because you practiced it before. You can do it. You do not have to do that. I'm telling you, you don't. That's on you. You can get away from there. You practice self-control. Get up, go out, run, jog, whatever it takes as long as it takes for those hormones to die down, and they will. That's a hormone thing. That is not a mind thing or something you're destined for. You can overcome these battles. Learning self-control over food is another place where you can learn self-control. Stop eating for a few days, learn self-control. It's really good for you. That same dependence on the Holy Spirit when you're practicing those things will teach you the same dependence on the Holy Spirit when you need to fight those harder battles. Become dependent on the Holy Spirit in the simple places so you can depend on him in the difficult places. So these are the steps. So what steps can you take this week to help explore your emotional drivers? What steps can you take that you heard just now this week to help you explore those emotional drivers that are really causing you to react in sinful ways? There's another headwind for us, which is called conflict. And conflict with people is depicted in almost every single book of the Bible. Can't hardly read one without finding conflict between people. It's unbelievable. I think one of the most challenging conflict areas for many Christian men is their marriage. When we're at odds with our wives, it overflows into every area of our life. For example, we'll struggle with being emotionally available to other people when we're at odds with our wife. We'll have a hard time spending time with God and hearing the Spirit when we're at odds with our wife. We will not excel at work in any way when we're at odds with our wife, and our eating and our diet will go, go to pot when we're at odds with our wife. You may ask, if you ask most Christian men, they'll agree with you that their wife is the most incredible gift from God. In fact, most guys say I married way over my ability. I outran my punt, right? You know, So I'm like, man, she's way better than I deserve. Most Christian guys will tell you that. And then they'll say, I have no idea how to communicate with her. 
I've never been more frustrated. And they won't say that's how it is all the time, but they'll say, oh my gosh, there's days. I, 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 I just, I don't know how I can stay in this. It's unbearable. And then we go to small groups because the church says go to small groups with your wives and you're dying to talk about that and you're looking around the room going, I wonder who's gonna talk about their screwed up marriage first. And everybody's looking around and you know, can you imagine you raising your hand going, man, my wife and I, we're, this is bad. And she's over there going, you, you, seriously? Like this, oh my gosh. And she gets up and storms out and you're like, I ain't gonna do that. Nobody, I ain't nearly that stupid, right? So you can't go to a small group with couples and get that worked out, it doesn't work. So that doesn't work, so now then, now, and then what else? How else does it get worse? Well, here's how it gets worse. Life changes, you go through life stages. Older guys, talk to me here, right, Frank? We go through these life stages. You don't stay the same. Like, so when you're 25 and you get married, you ain't the same when you're 55. And she's not either, you change. Life before marriage is different than life right after marriage. Life before kids is different than it was after kids are born. When kids leave the home, you both change. During and after your wife's menopause. Hear me, young guys, go start reading books about menopause. Your wife changes dramatically sometimes during that time and men don't know anything about it. A lot of guys in this room are going, what is he talking about? Yes, there's a thing called menopause women go through and they change dramatically. And you're like, oh my gosh, who is this woman, right? And no one tells you, it's the hidden secret, right? And you're going, what happens? And then a parent dies and then you retire and she's going, oh my God, who is this guy? He's a nutcase, I don't wanna live with him, right? And then one of you gets really sick and life changes again. And you see how life does that? So now you start off with these conflicts from your families that you bring in, family of origin issues you bring in, life changes, you have a difficult time communicating as is, and you're trying to figure out how to make marriage good. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so he made him a wife, and you're going, Hmm, I wonder if he made a mistake. No, he didn't. God designed this relation to be his most powerful tool for help, helping us build his kingdom. He knew it would be powerfully effective at forcing us to face us. He knew it. He knew the selfish you would have to be revealed in that moment and you would have to come face to face with your own issues, your own weaknesses, your own problems. That's why she's there. That's why you're there to help her. Man, our selfish desires, coupled with our inability to communicate, create an enormous series of problems in marriage, guys. They do. And so if you're going, man, I don't have any of these problems, I think you're probably lying. So I haven't met a guy yet that would say that. So guys say, yeah, I have great times in my marriage, but most guys go, I have really tough times in my marriage. But they're there for a reason. So let me offer you some thoughts on how to improve in this space that all reflect concepts that come from Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. So now this is an old guy, 59 years, married 33 years. Just giving you some wisdom here, guys, and I've distilled this out of these texts. If you're single, take the time to work through your emotional issues before marriage. Meet with a heart group, guys in this group, and start digging into your emotional issues now. Don't wait. This will help you see what you're gonna be bringing to the table that she's gonna to get to figure out, right? Especially if you're a porn user. You need to go to a conquerors group, guys. You need to get into a conquerors group now, right? If you're a porn user, not if you're addicted, if you're a user. So you don't think you're addicted, if you're a user, you're probably close to being addicted. You need to get into that now. And then learn to sacrifice by serving now. Start serving now because your biggest problem is gonna be your greed. 
right? You're selfish with your time, with your money, and you need to start learning how to give to others before you get married. So start giving up a, per a chunk of your personal time to somebody else. Give it up now, start learning. And then prior to marriage, with your, when you get engaged, read Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. It's probably the best book. The intro and the first two chapters are probably the finest text written on this concept, and it'll help educate you on what the meaning of marriage is. Meet with other, another Christian couple who is older, guys my age, who've been married a long time, who aren't gonna tell you they've had a perfect marriage. If they said they had a perfect marriage, don't go to them. That's the wrong couple. So uh, discuss tough topics with them and be ready to get in conflicts with your fiance in front of them. Don't live together or have premarital sex. Don't do that. Lots of data on that says that never works out. More diverse divorce in those situations than not. Start praying together daily so it starts to feel normal praying together. First year of marriage, get in a heart group with Christian men. If you didn't do it before, you need to do it now. Encourage your wife to get in a group with women. Share where you are failing and be honest early when you get in those groups. In marriage, be clear, be honest, be open right away. If you're feeling anger, you're looking at porn, you're shutting down, you're working long hours to avoid going home, those are issues you have to disclose in your men's group. Learn her love language. She's got one. There's a book on that Gary Chapman wrote, Five Love Languages, learn hers. It doesn't take much time. And then learn the emotional language I've been talking about in your heart group. She speaks both and you need to learn them. She speaks both and you need to learn them, right? They're in play and you gotta learn to speak both. Learn active listening skills. Active listening means she talks, you repeat. She talks, you repeat. She talks, you repeat. And you keep repeating until she says, yeah, that's what I meant. I guarantee you, try it at night. Go home and try to be with a girl and say she starts talking to you and you start repeating back. You won't get it right the first four or five times. I guarantee you won't. And you'll say it verbatim and she'll say, no, that's what I didn't, I didn't say that. You're like, I'm pretty sure that's what you said. And you'll be dead on word for word. And she'll be like, no, that's, what I, that's not what I said. That's my point. See, you're already going, what? Yeah, okay, just play the game, right? So learn, you repeat back until she's done saying, that's what I meant. And you're like, okay, okay, very good. I, 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 and, and is there anything else? Is there anything else? Is there anything else? That's all it takes, you guys. Do that. Learn active listening care skills. Share how you feel instead of attacking her behavior. So she makes you, my wife did this to me tonight. She said, could you please uh, turn the toaster around and unplug it when you make your toast? And I'm like, that's a big deal. Like, we need to get that nailed because that, <laughs> that's, that's a showstopper. And I, and I looked up and I just went, mm, mm, okay. So instead of saying, you know, that's really stupid. I mean, it's a toaster, who cares what orientation it's in, which is what I normally say. I said, that kind of makes me feel a little devalued, huh? And I just, I don't know, it just kind of made me feel bad. That's all I said. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's no big deal, but it just, I don't know, it just came across kind of harsh and I just feel, it just made me feel bad. And, th and that was it, we were done then. But I used to say is, are you kidding me? Let it go. That's what I used to do. It doesn't work. So you just say, well, that kind of felt a little harsh and hurt my feelings a little bit. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, because now you've said how you feel. That language is the one she speaks. Tell her how you feel, not what she did wrong. Seek counseling if you can't learn this communication. I'm telling you, get to it early. If you can't learn this, go get help. This is what it looks like. If you don't like this, then get out of it, right? I mean, this is not, you don't belong here, right? This is what it looks like. You gotta learn these skills and you gotta learn them early. If you feel distant from your wife when you go to bed, that's a symptom that something's wrong. Don't ignore it. 
don't ignore it. Something's wrong, you gotta get up and work on it, right? Keep track of this. What expectations you have of each other, keep track of that. Whether you gotta write that down or not, be clear, right? Your wife learns quickly that you need sex three times a week, doesn't she? Oh yeah, yeah, because you make a daggone clear, don't you, right? Yeah, okay, so what are her expectations of you? You keeping track of those as much as you expect her to keep track of yours, you need to keep track of that. Keep track of both, what you expect of her and what she expects of you, you'll be surprised. And when you share that with a group of guys, you might be surprised how stupid you sound, right? I do expect sex, in fact, I expect sex four times a week. Really? Don't you think that sounds a little selfish? Heck no, I'm a man, that's what I need. Really? Okay. So if you don't have it four times, what happens to you? I die. <laughs> like, okay, all right, Mr. Exaggeration here, you're not gonna die. So why don't you might dial that back a touch because maybe that's not good for her, right? Sometimes when you tell that to your friends, you realize how stupid you sound. But when you're at home, don't you sound like it's important? Like in your head, man, this thing's important. And that's gotta be done, and that's a big deal to me, right? And it feels that way to you. And then you tell your buddies, and they're like, that's the joke. The sock's gotta be inside out. Like, Scotty, really, you gotta iron your underwear? I mean, that's seriously, that's crazy, right? He doesn't iron his underwear, no, he doesn't. Scotty doesn't do that. He does iron all his shirts, though. So, and then pray together daily. Married men, hear this. Realize she's going to change as life changes. She's going to change as life changes. Commit to her, you will never leave when she changes as much as you expect her to commit to you when you change, because you will. Commit to her, you will not leave. You have to adapt as you would expect her when you change. Always be part of a men's group. I keep saying this, you're gonna need help. Change groups if you're not improving. If you're not improving, if your men's group is not helping you improve, change groups, right? Review your marital expectations with your group regularly. Learn to talk about your feelings instead of her actions. Listen to this, stop blaming your wife. If you come sit in a group with me and you start blaming your wife, man, you are, it won't take long, I'm gonna be in your shorts. Because what I know right away is if you're blaming your wife, you're doing two things. You're not listening to her and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit tell you what your issues are. You're dead blocked. If all you do is complain about your wife, you're the problem. You gotta use active listening skills to listen to her and you gotta apologize way more than you think you do especially in those little moments when the hurt you thought was little may have been huge. Learn to apologize a lot more than you do and pray together every single day. Pray together every day. God did give me a wife. She's critical to my emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. And when I invest in that relationship, every part of my life gets better. It does, you guys. My wife is by far the most important relationship in my life and there's nothing that comes close to it other than Jesus Christ. And when I invest in that, my life exponentially gets better because I become a better man. We wanna get better here, guys. And I believe our sinful life driven by our emotions and our broken marriages are the two key things that hold most men back. 90% of what's holding us back, I've just covered. I really believe that. What will you do this week to improve your marriage? What will you do this week to improve your marriage? In Revelation 12, we learn about another headwind that powerfully opposes Christian men. It's the devil and the world he has created here on earth. Jesus made it clear the devil is real. If you don't think he's real, that's your problem. He's real. Because he is a fallen angel, it's also clear he can't attack everyone at the same time. So who does he pick to attack? 
He's roaming around looking for people to attack, but he can't attack them all at the same time. I believe Matthew 4 made it clear. We saw Jesus go in the desert. He picked Jesus at that point because Jesus had the highest spiritual moment of his life at that time. He was baptized. The father came down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit in front of a crowd, spoken into by God himself. This is a spiritual high, unparalleled at this point. The devil uh, Holy Spirit leads him to the other devil goes out there, attack him. I believe that's when the devil attacks is when we're having spiritual victories. That's when he attacks. So when you say, oh, he only attacks guys that are the, the guys that are sort of weak and not doing anything, I completely disagree. He attacks the strong Christians that are doing all the work. He goes after the strong because the weak aren't a threat. The weak will have no impact on the world. It's the strong Christian that's having a big impact, that's having huge victories. He's gonna change the world and he's gonna take it back from Satan. Who do you think he's gonna fight? The weak guy that's doing nothing or the strong guy that's taking his world away? He's going after the strong guy. And then after you have a spiritual success, he tries to convince you of this. I can hold my anger. I don't have to seek reconciliation or apologize. I'm righteous. I don't need to, I can be angry. I can hold, he convinces you that. And then he tries to get you to hide your sin and not to confess it. You're a good Christian. Men think you're a really good Christian. You're a spiritual stellar guy. You can hide those sins, it's okay. Spend time alone and be isolated, that's okay too. Skip church, don't do Bible study with men. You don't need to pray and stop serving others, right? Ignore the emotional trauma of your past, it won't hurt you. That's what he tries to tell you. And then watch and listen to any movies, music videos that you want, They're, they don't hurt you. Just watch away, fill up your eyes and ears with all kinds of good content like that. That's what he tries to convince you of. That's how he attacks you. And then from there, he induces an incredible deep sense of fear that you failed and a deep-seated doubt that you aren't saved. That's where he goes. And that fear and doubt feel very different than the normal daily stuff. Guys that have been attacked by the devil know what I'm talking about. Guys that have not been attacked by the devil have no idea what I'm talking about. There's a normal daily run of the mill of the fear and doubt, and then there's the stuff coming from the devil. And when you've been attacked by him, I'm telling you, you'll know it, because you can't shake it. It's really intense. And the one way I found to get rid of it is I have to go talk to another Christian brother or my wife and say, man, I am just overloaded, right, with fear and doubt right now. I don't know what's going on. Help me. And then I talk to them, and they pray over me, and then it dissipates. That's what you gotta do, guys, and that's how he attacks. So how often is the devil causing you to stop living free of fear and shame? How often is he attacking you? Don't be afraid if you're not doing anything for Jesus. He won't touch you. You're fine, you're safe. Jump in the game and start serving. Get ready to strap it on because he's coming after you. Jesus showed us the way to fight the devil too. He said, uh, it's a, Paul called it the sword of the spirit. God's word is a sword. Don't you love that thing? It's a sword. The book, it's a sword. Memorize verses and speak them to the devil and he'll flee to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Devil, I'm a child of God. Get out of here and watch him run. That's what Jesus said and you speak it out loud. If you gotta stand up in the middle of the room at night when he's speaking to you and you need to yell, tell your wife, get ready. Me and the devil are dancing tonight. If I get up and scream, I'm screaming at him and I ain't holding back, man. I'm gonna let her fly. Your wife might be scared to death, but that devil's scareder than she is. He'll be gone, right? Devil, I'm a child of God. Get the hell out of my head. Done. We also learn from Jesus that the devil uses our sinful hearts to set up this world as a place that drives people away from God, this world, right? Jesus just used, or the devil just uses the evil that's already in man 
And all he's got to do is tweak it a little bit and all this evil comes out. He sets up all of these political systems designed to concentrate power and money around people who need it. Academic systems that reflect that political system are all in cahoots with each other, all moving away from God. Entertainment drives ad revenues by pushing sex, division, and violence, all away from God, right? And have no reflection in them. They're all there eliminating any reflection of Jesus. They don't want you to know Jesus. It's all to pull you away from him. Then the devil creates ideology that sounds good to natural men. Listen to these ideologies that are being taught heavily in your schools to your children. Everything should be equal. That's the devil, that's not God. Sex is good any way I want it. Every desire is good. God can be found many ways. What you feel is always the truth. All people are good. And hell was designed by people just to control other people. These are the truths of the devil being taught in the political system today in America and in your schools to your children. And it's disguised with lots of nice language. Watch, look, listen. This world is designed by the devil for the people who don't know Jesus. Being attracted to the world shuts down our desire for Jesus. Clothes, cars, homes, vacation, dining, alcohol, electronics, fitness, nothing inherently wrong with them. Yet our desire to keep chasing them draws us away from God as the devil intended. For me, there seems to be some level of emotional need when I chase those things. I've got an emotional need, I need to feel safe, I need to feel valued, I need to feel respected, I wanna feel worthy. And God's saying, pay attention to that, because that's what's making you sin. That's what's causing you to sin. Pay attention to your heart, heart of a man. That's why we're called that. Pay attention to your heart because your heart will show you why you're sinning. The emotions you're feeling are causing you to chase the things of the world. Stop chasing those things. They will not fill the deep needs of your heart. The Bible all says we all need something and that one thing is God. And yes, as Christians, man, we agree. Some part of our natural self continues to desire those things, we do, but we don't have to. So what keeps you tethered to this world, you guys? What does it? What's keeping you tethered to this world? The apostle John said this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. If the love of the Father's not there, what's there? Fear, the one I kept getting wrong. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whatever does the will of God, that abides forever. Men, it's simple. We just gotta stop loving the world so darn much. It's a choice. Stop loving the world. The opposition that poses the greatest threat to our service to God is our self. Men, we're not defined by our failures, by our sins, by our emotional baggage, by our possessions, or by our sexuality. We are who God says we are. I remember working at Procter & Gamble. I was a young engineer. I was right out of college. I thought I was hot, man. Had a new red car. I wore a suit to work. Man, I was, whoo, man, I was something. And when I got there, I even became something greater because they would sit with the young engineers and they would say, you were the top of your class. We only interviewed the top 5% of your class and you were in it. 
So the only people in here are the people that are the top 5% of their class. You're the best of the best. You guys are the best in the world. And so we'd strut around going to visit customers and, and our vendors like we were walking on water, man. Like we thought we, I mean, I truly believed it. I mean, I just, I mean, I thought I was something. Everywhere I went, I believed that about myself. But you know what? That's changed because I realized I wasn't at all. And now that I follow in Jesus Christ, I have a new, a completely new identity. Listen to what God says your identity is. This is so good. God says you are born again, a child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, created in his image, his friend, redeemed, alive in Christ, forgiven, free, a new creation, a citizen of heaven, God's workmanship, an ambassador for Jesus, a temple of the Holy Spirit, light to the world, healed and whole and gratefully loved by God. That's who we are, you guys. That's who we are. We are not what we oppose. We are what God says we are, and that's who we should be. We stop letting our opposition hold us back because we believe in who we are, and we are God's children, free and ready to run, you guys. So join me as we start to work on our hearts, you guys. Work through the summer. Don't take the summer off. Lean into what we've learned. Get in your groups and work with these men and work on the stuff we've practiced so you come back in September with stories of victory, not stories of failure. Don't cave now, practice now. Now we're going out onto the field and we're gonna play the game. Let's go. Let's end and let's come back strong in September, all right, guys? Let me close in prayer and then we're all gonna come up for pictures, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, I'm so excited to know who I am in you and I do not have to be defined by my failures, by my sin, or the things that I hate in myself. That's not who I am, and that is not who you've told me I am. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and redeeming my soul. Thank you for making me a son of the Father. Lord, help us go out of here inspired and feeling worthy of the calling that we've been called to, and help us live this life that you've called us to. Help us live out this purpose. Help us stay together as men this summer, Lord. Help us bond and pull together and come together as men of God so that we can show the world how that looks and we can be strong and come back and celebrate in September our victory, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.